0: is a unique Olympic event. It challenges participants with opposing athletic endeavors in a singular competition. It combines the heart-pumping aerobic aspects of cross-country skiing, matched with the intense focus of precision marksmanship. Two diametrically opposing forces testing every ounce of physical and mental strength of athletes. Welcome to Heartbeat, the U.S. Biathlon Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Kelly, and I'm proud to bring you regular insights into this fascinating Olympic sport. Today's guest on Heartbeat is the president and CEO of U.S. Biathlon and a highly respected global leader in biathlon and Olympic sport, Max Cobb. Shortly after graduating from Dartmouth College, Max Cobb began his career with U.S. Biathlon in 1989, managing a domestic competition series. His passion and leadership skills helped him advance through several roles before taking over as head of the national governing body. Max has been on the snow for every Olympics since 1992 in Albertville. He was a technical delegate for biathlon at the 2014 Olympics in Sochi, and he's also a longtime leader and executive board member with the International Biathlon Union and also serves as head of the USOPC's National Governing Body Council. And Max, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's great to have you here on Heartbeat. Hey, pleasure. Pleasure, Tom. Thanks for inviting me. You know, it's, it's been a crazy spring and a crazy summer. And have you been holding up uh, uh, through all of this? Boy, it sure has. Crazy, unprecedented. Uh, yeah,
1: just a, a wild ride from the evening when we decided to Pull the plug and bring the team home to today. But um, yeah, I, I'm holding up fine, and you know, thankfully, um, everyone in my family has has been able to remain healthy and and getting along all right. So so that's been great. But it uh, it certainly has been a challenge, uh, like one we've never faced before.
0: Well, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we get along in our podcast here, and glad to hear that you're doing well. You know, Max, I think I speak for everyone who works with you, whether it's in the biathlon family, the U.S. Olympic family, uh, or just the entire world of sport that uh, you're a joy to work with. And, you know, I I think you bring such uh, passion to what you do, but uh, also a a real great sense of decency and uh, uh, friendliness that I know is really uh, warmly received by athletes and those who work with you.
1: Oh, thanks, Tom. That that's that's nice to hear. I, I certainly love what I do, and um, being able to work with athletes, and even if I'm a little further removed from that these days uh, with administrative duties, it it's still always there in my mind. that, that That's why I'm doing this, and uh, and it that's that's a blessing. and And you you know that from all your work too.
0: Yeah, you know, you know, you think of those administrative duties, and uh, at first blush, they seem just you know, very non-secular and just uh, are they really important? But at the end of the day, you know, it's those things that really make a difference. And we're going to talk more about your career in sport. And, I, you know, as I was preparing for this, you know, one of the things that struck me is as much as I've known you for so many years now, I really didn't know, you know, your athletic background. And let's go back to you as a young boy growing up. And how did you find your way into sport and where did it lead you?
1: Yeah. So, um, I, I grew up in Cambridge, Massachusetts, which is an unlikely place for someone who fell in love with cross country skiing to come from. Uh, but I, I, um, in fifth grade, I still hadn't learned how to read. And so, um, my parents had me diagnosed at MGH with dyslexia and I went to the Carroll school out in Lincoln, Massachusetts. And, um, so that was um, intense and challenging to um, you know, go from basically a non-reader to grade level in three years. Um, but one of the wonderful things about the Carroll School was this great uh, program run by a former Outward Bound instructor named Mike Stratton or Strats and uh he he ran a junior outward bound program out there for us and just exposed us to all kinds of um, fun outdoor activities and um, i loved that um, and really um, fell in love with cross-country skiing and so in high school i started skiing competitively and i wasn't you know particularly uh good at it but um loved it and raced all, all four years in high school. And then, um, when I got to Dartmouth, I knew I wasn't good enough to, to be on the varsity, but my freshman trip leader, um, Viva Hardig was on the ski team. And she told me, she said, you know what, you should just go out there and do it. Go to the, go show up and go to the training. Um, and I bet, you know, a few, stick with it and show up for every every training and work hard um, there'll be a spot for you on the development team and she was exactly right and it wasn't until my senior year that I made the varsity Um, but you know fell in love with the training and the cross-country skiing and the atmosphere of the team it was just
0: wonderful and uh, so that's that's where it all began for me you had a good mentor there in John Morton too didn't you Fantastic. Uh, I mean, learned
1: so much from John. And, you know, when you think about <clears throat> the impact that coaches have in athletes' lives um, and in students' lives, really. I mean, you, you know, we you take classes in college and, you you know, you show up for one semester and work closely with a professor. And maybe in your major, you get to work more closely with a professor, as I did with um, wonderful Dick Burney. But, you know, the coach is with you nearly every day for four years that's an incredible impact and uh morty was just extraordinary um tremendous leader character and uh man and you know we've become lifelong friends and uh and he had started a the dartmouth biathlon club um and so it was actually my freshman fall in October of eighty three that uh, I went to my first biathlon training camp in Lake Placid at the Olympic Training Center. And uh and I went on to be the president of the Dartmouth biathlon club. And I I never really became all that proficient as a biathlete. Um we were using pretty primitive rifles that came from the civilian marksmanship program. But again, the 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 amazing challenge of biathlon really inspired me and um, we had a bunch of guys who were on the Dartmouth team who were also on the u.s biathlon team and that was fun um, fun to be able to uh, train side by side with some of them and and i you know i i just found the sport really intriguing and exciting and um it was my senior year when the world championships were held over in Lake Placid and Josh Thompson won his historic silver medal there. Um, and Morty was the, was the team leader over there. So we, we heard about it, uh, right away. And, um, that was, that was really exciting and inspiring. Um, so definitely my college years in ways that I didn't understand at the time really shaped my career.
0: It's always fun to look back and I, I was doing this with friends over the weekend and just kind of reminiscing on some past ski stories. But you look back at those moments in time like that silver medal and you think about, wow, that really influenced my career. That wasn't me, but that moment influenced my whole career, didn't it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and in in another way too, I mean I I you know, as the president of the biathlon club. <laughs> I, um, I was responsible for putting on a Dartmouth's biathlon race um, and we had a whole bunch of olympians come over and race there so Curtis Schreiner and Lyle Nelson and all these you know big names who I had heard about through through my friends um, came over to race at the, the Dartmouth biathlon race at Storse Pond and uh, and I had kind of taken that on not really knowing what it was going to entail but but one of the curveballs that came at us was that uh they wouldn't they wouldn't take the piston bully out on the ice where the range was to uh to pack the the shooting range and the entrance and exit and so um i conned max Sanger, who is another lifelong friend and and a a man who's now designing the trails for the Beijing Olympics in China. Um I conned him into coming out and snowshoeing the entire range <laughs> to pack
0: Good for the you. snow
1: the night before the race. So, <laughs> so in some ways, you know, those college experiences whether it was, you know, helping to run Dartmouth Carnival or uh or run that little biathlon race would, you know, go on to foreshadow what I did, uh, you know, later on with being the chief of competition for the Olympics out in um, Salt Lake in 2002. You know,
0: people watch sporting events, whether it's biathlon or football or whatever, and you see the action, you see the athletes, but you don't often think about what's going on behind the scenes and that incredibly creative thinking and conniving sometimes that organizers have to do? I mean, you've, I know you've experienced that your whole career. (laughs) Yeah, uh, no question about it.
1: And um, it, it's, honestly, while it's intense and stressful, it's also kind of fun. Um, I remember in Sochi, um, there was a a problem with the length of the course. And uh, we ended up figuring out that if we um, took down one of the lamp poles that lit the course, we could use a section that had been originally designed as sort of an an access or construction road to change the course and make it just long enough to fit in with the spec. And so there we were three nights before um, the first race out on the course with you know, so 30 guys from the organizing committee taking down this light pole and grooming out the course for the official training that was supposed to take place the next day.
0: So yeah. <laughs> we, we, we all have a litany of those stories, Max. So, <laughs> so as, as you got involved on the staff of U.S. Biathlon in the late 80s, did you look at it initially as this is where I want to spend my time or did it just kind of move from point to point? It
1: really moved from point to point. Actually, I, I um, you know, Jed Williamson hired me over the radio telephone from the Hurricane Island uh, Outward Bound School um, on Penobscot Bay, and um, I thought, well, this is great. I'll I'll do this for a couple of years before going to grad school. This will be really fun, and I love skiing, and I, you know, I still had a lot of friends on the national team, so I was looking forward to it. And um, remember. You know, being out in West Yellowstone that first winter and taking the GREs at at um, at Montana State in Bozeman, um, getting ready to you know apply to grad school the next year, and um, you know one thing kind of led to another, and before I knew it, I was um, marching in the opening ceremonies in Albertville, um, you know, Bill Coke carrying the flag for the team, and and that was a really it was a a moment that um changed the way i looked at what we were doing in sport and you know i had spent the previous winter um you know on the on the world cup circuit with the team and and that had been really fun and and wonderful to make friends from all over the world but boy when you're a part of um part of an olympic games and actually get to march with the athletes into the opening ceremony it it really changes the perspective and makes you realize the power of sport as a global um, force to bring the world together.
0: Yeah, there really is no experience like that in sport. Uh, it just transcends everything in our culture. Uh, it's it's that moment in time, all of those nations together. It's a different feeling.
1: Yeah, really is. And it was a special time because it was the first time since the wall came down um, and that that all these nations had marched in um, to, to the Olympic Stadium. And so that was, that was really, really, really special.
0: I, I want to look a little bit at U.S. Biathlon as an organization. I mean, you came into it in a time in the late 80s and up into the 90s, and it, of course it's transformed since then. But looking back in time, can you give us just a brief history of the organization and how it evolved?
1: yeah I think um you know we we were and to some extent remain um a really lean organization that relies on um, clubs around the country to deliver the introductory programs um for for athletes and um, the organization really focuses on a lot of its efforts um on helping athletes achieve their competitive dreams, uh, on the, on the courses. Um, so that, that's, you know, remained really core to the organization. And, um, you know, I, I think we have grown immensely from the days when I first started and I would be sort of the team manager and help, um, you know, the coaches with, planning everything, um, throughout the season, as well as, you know, doing lactates, uh, during training over the summer and then, you know, doing video and giving splits out on the course and, um, being the main guy preparing the skis, uh, the night before the race, you know, we would have a staff of just, you know, four of us, really two coaches, me and one, one guy to help me with the skis. Um, and we, you know, go the whole winter like that. Uh, and, you know, today we are a really professional team and have the resources, thankfully through the generosity of the U S Olympic and Paralympic committee, as well as our amazing donors and the foundation that supports us, um, and our our sponsors um Aaron's and Maloya, topping the list there to be able to deliver a really professional um team to support our athletes with year round training with nutritional support with a amazing group of crazy guys who um, prepare the skis for the team and um you know it' was through that that we were able to see, um, you know, Tim Burke wear the yellow bib uh, for the first time as as an American. Um, to see him go on to win a silver medal, and um, you know, to see at the World Championships, and then to see Lowell and Susan um, win their medals in in 2017. Lowell, the first ever. Um, world champion for the sport and and susan um a silver medal and and another one just last season to be the first athlete to ever win two medals uh two world championship medals in their career so um but the the sport demands that and there there would be no way to um to just no way to do it without um this great professional team that we have uh behind the athletes to give them everything they need.
0: Max, you mentioned your donors, and one of the things that has really struck me over the last few years is the passionate group of, of donors and board members you have developed over the last few years. Virtually none of these people came from biathlon. A few of, them, few of them did, but most of them did not. And they've developed this just heartfelt passion for what your athletes do.
1: Yeah, it's so fun to... Bring people in and share the sport with them and introduce them to our athletes. And I can say we've never had anybody who's taken the time to to do that, to come to one of our World Cup races and meet our team who hasn't left just incredibly inspired to help support the team. And that's one of the things that I'm most proud of. Um, so yeah, today we have um, an amazing group of foundation supporters, some of whom are also serving on our board, um, and their collective donations uh, are you know up around close to three hundred thousand um, dollars a year, making it the the largest um, or the third largest uh, source of income for for the team. That really makes makes things happen and um and then it's also been really gratifying to grow the um you know what we call our gold medal campaign um which is just reaching out to our members and asking for support and and we've grown that from sort of um, four or five thousand dollars a year uh in the early 2000s up to um over $100,000 in each of the last uh, three years. And it's just wonderful to feel that sort of more grassroots support of, you know, the donations of $50 or $100 coming from members all over the country who just want to help the athletes.
0: Yeah, you had, you had also mentioned a moment ago those medals in the 2017 World Championships from Lowell Bailey and Susan Dunkley. And I, I want to talk about what I characterized as this buzz around biathlon that began then but I have to preface it with a story and uh, for our listeners uh, I used to work for US Ski and Snowboard and back in 2017 I was taking a two-day break between different world championships with my wife Carol in Paris when all of a sudden I get a call from Max at the world championships who says Tom we just won these two medals what do we do now and you know it, it struck me at the time on on how exciting that was. I mean, it was this moment in time. It was something that you've been building up to, but, but then it occurs and it's like, Oh, this is cool. Now, what do we do next? You really did create a buzz with that. And that buzz is still felt today.
1: Yeah. I mean, it wasn't so much me <laughs> creating it, but, uh, but I did, you know, with your help, have a chance to amplify uh, the the story a little bit and really get it out there. And, you know, I think it just, it's just—it's such a wonderful um, story to see Lowell Bailey, who you know spent his 20 years of his life pursuing this dream, and you know finally uh, on having a, a what was you know all the way around his by far his best ever world championships, and and really the best world championships any. American athlete has ever had with, um, you know, two sixth place finishes and, um, a gold, a gold medal on top of it. Um, so, but even without the gold medal, it still would have been probably the best performance, uh, an American ever had a, at world championships. Um, so, but so fun. And, um, and I remember that phone call vividly, cause <laughs> I really didn't know how t- how best to try and share this with um everybody around the world and with everybody back home and and it it was such a great moment um for the whole biathlon community too, because what we saw was the whole stadium cheering for Lowell like he was the kid who had grown up next door to them. I mean they really embraced. His um, his story and what a moment this was for him, Um, in large part thanks to some good storytelling by the stadium announcer. Um, But everybody was so excited for Lowell and for our team, and you know the cheers that that came um, as he entered the stadium were just amazing. And it was you know it was a razor thin margin. Um, I forget what it was. I think it was 0.6 seconds or 1.6 seconds. I don't even remember. But um, the last split was was really tight um, before he came into the stadium. And and to be there on that day with uh, our whole crew of of coaches and ski technicians and Baron and Bickler, all of whom who had spent years working so hard to make a moment like that possible it was just magic. And then Susan, you know, to who was having maybe the worst world championships of her career, to completely turn it around after seeing what Lowell did and and win a silver medal, the first individual medal for a woman at the world championships um, in the history of U.S. biathlon It just... Amazing. And there really was, Tom, a buzz. And it, it came at a great time because it was, you know, a year before the Olympics in Pyeongchang. Um, and so there was a lot of media interest in, um, in Susan and in Lowell and in the whole team, um, which was really exciting. And, and great, great exposure for the sport and totally changed our national profile.
0: Um, and and you helped in a big way, <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> it, it was a lot of fun, and, and we really got some some good coverage out of that. You know, I was just hearkening back to what she mentioned about Susan. She'd really been having a bad world championships. We had her on as the very first guest on Heartbeat a few months ago, and she talked about that day and or the, about that week and how it just really wasn't going that well, uh, but it's, it's uplifting, and I think that uplifting that we saw in 2017 we still feel it today there's a little bit bigger bounce in the step of biathletes right now they they they've seen that we can do it and they're out to claim theirs
1: yeah that's i think you you said it really well um and i think some of that bounce really um propelled susan to be able to do what she did at the world championships this winter um where you know she won another silver medal um and uh you know she she really was in a great mood going into the world championships ontos is a place she's always liked to race um and i you know i remember um the the first race was the mixed relay and she had had a pretty good um leg there and she's just she had she had that inner um confidence that you know for her manifests itself with a, a big smile on her face and i remember seeing that and feeling that uh at the at the world championships before she won her medal and um and i think that you know sort of comes back to the sort of confidence in the program that we have the right ingredients to make things happen and um it it's such a just uh, complicated sport to have everything come together on the right day um you know with sort of that calm and confidence and um the ability to focus on the range the way you need to and having your physical form be there and having great skis under your feet um all those things came together for Susan uh, at the world championships, and she she made it happen and it was spectacular um and and those are the days we all really work so hard to make happen and i'm so proud of the whole staff we just have people who are incredibly dedicated to um giving the athletes what they need to succeed and out there fighting for it and searching for it Every single day. And, and that was really true that, that day in Antols for Susan, they were out testing skis, um, trying to find new grinds and came up with a new grind just a few hours before the, uh, the race and put it on the athlete skis and Susan came back and, and I forget what her exact words were, but it was something like these skis are magic. Um, And so it just, everything came together on the right day. And, and those are what we all uh, live to make happen.
0: Max, in the four years since those 2017 worlds, of course, the organization has gone through its own evolution, as is normal and, and natural. Lowell Bailey and Tim Burke now are uh, in, in very important roles within the organization. Talk about U.S. Biathlon and the U.S. Biathlon team today as we head into the 2021 season, hopefully. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, the It's so... Um,
1: so fun to get to work with Tim and Lowell in these new positions um you know Tim joined us right after uh the retiring from competing in twenty eighteen as um leading our athlete development effort, and he has just um grown into that role in a in a phenomenal way, and the athletes he's working with just adore him and um You know, we saw, uh, again, um, some great success at the Junior World Championships with um, one of our youth athletes uh, winning the bronze medal. In uh, the sprint race there, and another athlete um, finishing ninth on the same in the same race, so um you know he's had a, a tremendous impact and and you know not just him, obviously, as I said, we do depend on the clubs all around the country to help bring the athletes into the right to the right level. but I think with Tim as the leader, both the clubs and the athletes feel. Like you said, a little, a little more bounce in their step, a little more positive um, about what our possibilities are, and more confident. And he's just he's done a great job of, um, you know, inspiring the the regional programs um, and our clubs and our athletes. And uh, it's so fun to see. And Lowell joined us just just over a year ago, um, after you know spending a number of years getting the crosscut um, program going out in bozeman montana crosscut mountain sports center um, he uh, wanted to come back to lake placid and it just um, fit with our longtime uh, high performance director and later chief of sport baron dyes um, getting an amazing offer from the german team to come back and run their program so he's back in his home country doing that and and we have lowell um, leading our program which is is fantastic and another you know instance where somebody who's grew up going through that whole going through the whole program spent 20 years of his life doing it but also having a great understanding and an appreciation for what it tastes takes to succeed internationally and so he's so well positioned to put together the staff both coaches and techs and sports psychology um, that our athletes need and um, it's just been wonderful watching him uh, grow into that position and really lead the team and I was so happy for him that uh you know Susan's success came at the world championships i told him afterwards i said you know some of us had to wait like 10 15 20 years before we saw one of you guys with a medal around your neck and and here you are one year on the job not even and uh and Susan's already done it so uh, really really fun to see um to see that happen and, and Sarah Studebaker Hall joining just this spring um as our first ever um director of operations and obviously her you know career um at two Olympic games and uh having, you know, experience biathlon as a youngster out in uh Idaho and then coming back to it again after college. Uh and so with those those three in key director positions um, it it really feels like our organization has finally spread its wings to be able to both provide world class training for our national team and provide the leadership in the in the development of our next generation of athletes with the work that Tim's doing there and and Danica with providing an amazing coach education program and and organizing the um national competitions as well and um Sarah able to you know support me and really do a, a great job with providing the administrative glue to Hold everything together, and um, i'm just i 'm really proud to be able to um, see this organization fulfill all of its main um, capacity to sustain biathlon into the future and um, it 's just it 's a really exciting time for us
0: it 's quite different running a small sport than it was thirty years ago, much more sophisticated. <laughs>
1: Yeah, boy, is that true? <laughs> yeah, sophisticated, complicated, uh and um just you know, the level of competition is so high now um that you really have to uh nail it at every different level um to give the athletes, you know, exactly what they need. Um but also to ensure that um the athletes growing up in club programs around the country have the foundation they need in order to be able to utilize the um, high performance program when they make it to the junior national team or the, or, or the national team. Um, And, and that's just the sport part. (laughs) Um, You know, we're, we're also, Have a lot more administrative um, requirements uh, than we have before. And I I think, you know, thankfully, biathlon is a sport that um, hasn't had a lot of, uh, or US biathlon is a sport that hasn't had a lot of difficulties with doping or with, um, you know, safe sport issues. But it's just so important to be clear that um we are completely dedicated to ensuring that our sport and our programs are a safe and fair place for athletes to be. Um and you know that those are those are two things every parent wants to be assured of and every athlete wants to be assured of. Um, and it's just so fundamental. Um, and and i'm I'm proud of the us Olympic movement for taking the big step to create a safe sport program. It's complicated and it's difficult and it's demanding and it's pioneering um, and there's no there's no way to get through these difficult pioneering times in safe sport without it um requiring a lot of focus of leaders within every sport organization around the country and and sometimes that's really challenging to do but um but it's just so important that every athlete feels they have a safe and fair um area in which to play
0: I want to come back and talk about some of these challenges in running sport today. Uh, it's a it's a big area, whether you're biathlon, swimming, gymnastics, football, regardless. I, I want to uh, turn a little bit back towards development and getting into the sport. As I hearken back to the World Cup at Soldier Hollow a year and a half ago, one of the things that struck me was the presence of these young biathletes from clubs around the country who had come there to Soldier Hollow to kind of see the top end of their sport up close and personal. What is the pathway for young boys and girls to get into biathlon right now?
1: Yeah, um, we're really. I'm glad you brought that up because it, the the opportunities have expanded um, in. in wonderful, wonderful ways over the last several years. And what we've seen is, um, people who fell in love with the sport as athletes continue their, um, continue their role in the sport, or I guess, um, by creating programs and, and sharing them. And, you know, whether it's Rob Rosser, who's, a a, um, 98 olympian uh, and uh, veteran armed forces veteran um, who created a program out in casper wyoming um, for both able-bodied and um, paralympic biathletes, um, cross-country skiers got state funding to build a venue and and get a program going out there or it's um Dick Dreisgacker and Judy Gear at the Craftsbury Center, um, you know, having this vision of creating a place in northern Vermont where athletes could, um, not only could the young athletes get exposed to the sport and have daily training from skilled coaches at a, at a great range, right, you know, proximate to this wonderful cross-country ski area, but also to provide uh, a... Incredibly supportive club program for um, top athletes who were either on the national team or just below the national team to be able to mature and you look out to um, auburn ski club in in Truckee California um, you know paving their range and growing that and up in Anchorage Alaska um, you know hiring a, a former national team. Coach uh, to run their um, program up there, and and um, Zach Hall at Soldier Hollow, and um, Seth uh, Hubbard up at the Crosscut Mountain Sports Center doing biathlon, um, and you know finally even most recently, um, we're really proud of the uh, the college opportunity that um, Tim Burke worked really hard to create with Paul Smith's College where. We have actually for the first time ever um, biathlon scholarships for uh, athletes to go to college. And um, we've got our first three um, athletes just starting there right now. Uh, and so really more opportunities than ever before. And um, I, I think the clubs have you know, really embraced, um, the opportunity. And I, and I, don't have time to talk about all the wonderful people, whether it's Carl Terrio up in, um, Fort Kent, Maine, or John Madigan in Jericho, Vermont, who, you know, just solve the problems and figure out how to make the sport accessible. And mm-hmm. it's just wonderful and inspiring. And, um, and we've, you know, our last, um, junior trials was the largest we'd ever seen with, you know, over a hundred athletes showing up, trying out for the world junior team. Uh, And so that's, that's inspiring and exciting and, um, and great to see. And I remember talking with Alan Ashley about, um, you know, our strategy there, which, which really was to um, try first to establish a, Successful high performance program with athletes who are succeeding internationally um and then to refocus our our energy on providing uh, more leadership in the um athlete development area and domestic programming and and Alan said, you're doing it in just the right order you You can't imagine how success at the international level will help you inspire young athletes to want to be by athletes and he was exactly right about that in ways i i could never imagine but um you know susan's medals lowell's medals tim's success um really did inspire um, young athletes and programs around the country um for them to to engage and prosper and
0: It's so exciting to see Tom. It's really just, I'm so tickled. Well, you, you, you should be, and I think that you've earned it, and the athletes uh, like Lowell and Susan who've provided that inspiration certainly are uh, much to the credit of the sport now, too. I know living in Park City, Utah, myself, Zach Hall's program at Soldier Hollow is the closest one to me, and we're a community where there's myriad sport opportunities from bobsled to luge to alpine skiing, cross country, ski jumping, biathlon, whatever. Biathlon is cool now. Biathlon is really cool for kids, and you hear yeah. this on the street. You hear it from parents that kids like going out there. They like biathlon. They like the diversity of it with the cross-country and the marksmanship. So you've got the cool factor going. Yeah, it, it,
1: <laughs> that's true. and um, And I think that was something we always knew would be there once there were enough opportunities. I think the other thing that's really helped is NBC – um bringing it to the United States uh bringing the the broadcast to the United States and and being willing to hire Chad Samala and other professional commentators to call the races uh you know for a US audience and um you know before the the world cup i was out in park city getting ready and i remember walking into um a a bar for a meeting, um, and seeing biathlon on television. Um, and you know, it was the race from earlier that day up in Canmore. And there it was, you know, it was the bar feed
0: and I thought, Okay. We've finally really arrived. (laughs) You have totally arrived. I remember you telling me that story, and you really have arrived. Uh, I want to move back into some of the challenges. Uh, You touched on them earlier, and uh, managing a sport program today has a lot of challenges. Uh, We talked a little bit about the safe sport and some of the compliance issues that you have to manage. COVID has all of a sudden One day in March, COVID changed our worlds, not just in sport, but all of ours. But from a sports management perspective, all of a sudden, you had to act on things you'd never acted on before. You had to create protocols that you had never even dreamed of in plan C, D, E, or F. Uh, how, How do all of these challenges impact you as a sport manager and what does it cause you to do to ensure that you have a a safe uh, environment for the athletes?
1: Yeah, well, you you are right about the changes and the and the challenges. Um, I mean, I, I think the first you know the the first time COVID really changed what what we were doing um, was when we decided not to send a, a group of juniors over to Europe for um, the. Junior Open European Championships and another Junior Cup race over there, um, and it you know it was a moment when we really looked at you know what's most important here. Um, you know we and we respect and honor how hard the athletes train to be able to compete and how limited the international competition opportunities are, um, especially at the junior level. Um, but you know just looking at it, it was just like. Who knows where this thing is going? And it just doesn't make sense to send people into um, an environment that we can't really predict. And it was just a few days later when um, the president announced that he was uh, limiting travel from Europe that we made the decision to bring the World Cup team home. And um, woke them up at two o'clock in the morning and told them they had uh, an hour to pack their bags and get to the airport. So, um, and, and since then, you know, we went on to cancel the national championships in in West Yellowstone, Montana, which um, was sad, but in retrospect, um, self evident um, that we needed to do that and really to. Um, try and find solutions for athletes um, that were within their communities um, to start with. And and I think um, Lowell and, and all of our clubs around the country have worked really hard to make sure that athletes had a safe place, a local place to um, be able to keep their training going, and you know, fortunately, most of our training is outdoors, um, which is sort of the safest environment you can be in. Um, and we operate in um, northern and rural areas um, that haven't been particularly hard hit by by COVID so far, but it has made it. Um, very challenging to be able to get the whole team together. So, you know, that's resulted in a lot of remote coaching. Um, and I, I, you know, I think both that's challenging both for the athletes and for the coaches, but I think they've done a, a phenomenal job of making that happen. Um, we've also, you know, had to lean pretty hard on Tim Burke and, um, on our interns to provide the, um, Coaching for athletes who are training in Lake Placid you know regardless of whether it's um, you know Claire Egan our, our top ranked uh, woman or it's um, you know juniors uh, that Tim is still working with he's he's the coach who's there in Lake Placid and able to um, provide the support needed for the training but i've seen the national guard step up with great um, programs in in jericho for all the athletes who are in the guard and the same thing at the craftsbury outdoor center um, where you know one of our uh, former coaches is now the head coach mike gibson and he's just Uh, bent over backwards along with everyone else at Craftsbury to make sure that the athletes were getting the most training they possibly could. Um, But doing it in a way that ensured uh, the least possibility for any kind of transmission should somebody actually um, be COVID positive and and not know it yet. Um, So Many, 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 uh, hours spent learning from the USOPC and, and others our our team doctor, um, Brett Dorsal and about, um, you know, how disease is transmitted, how to advise our athletes to, to be safe, um, and how to understand where this thing is headed going forward. And, um. You know, as difficult as that is to predict right now, um, I think we we do have a good feeling that the World Championships and the World Cup will happen um, this season. And that, um, you know, it's it's so important for us to find great solutions for our athletes to be ready for those events.
0: You know, I've been impressed with the International Biathlon Union since its uh, shakeup a few years ago and the, the modernization that it has seen over the last year or so. Uh, the, the approach the IBU is taking to the World Cup is uh, very systematic uh, in stages. Uh, and, you know, as I look at the protocol, it gives me confidence that they're going to find a way to have a season. That season may change and evolve. Uh, what's your thought as we we're now some months out yet from the season, uh, don't really know where this path will take us, but there is a pretty good plan in place.
1: Yeah, there is a good plan in place and there's good expert advisors um, helping uh, with that. I'm actually on the... um, event, uh, task force, which is charged with working with those advisors and the organizing committees, um, to try and ensure that we've got safe protocols in place for the athletes that we are meeting the national requirements, um, for events taking place. You know, at this point, I think it's, it's unlikely in December that we'll have any spectators at our events. Um hard to know for sure but I, I would say that um that we will probably join other sports in competing uh in an empty stadium but with more passion and excitement than ever uh <laughs> from our tv audience um but i it's it's so positive to um be able to look back and see how we've grown the sport department at the ibu and grown the organization as a whole to be able to really manage this in a um, professional and athlete-centric way um, you know claire egan um, is the first athlete ever to serve on the executive board member uh, as an executive board member for the ibu um, and she was the Top um, voted athlete representative after the Pyeongchang Games. A huge um, sign of respect for her and for her um, leadership. And um, it's been great to see her interacting with the sports staff as well as with the executive board and really looking after um, all the details uh, from an athlete's perspective and ensuring that. Communication is happening uh, happening on a regular basis directly to the athletes from the Ibu, so that nobody is um, left out of the loop. So I, I I'm I'm proud of the organization. I think we're we're really well staffed and positioned to be able to meet the challenges that are ahead of us um, head on going into the season, and find solutions for the athletes to be able to compete um, in a safe. In a safe
0: environment. Uh, Max, COVID aside, now the other aspect of this coming season, uh, which has nothing to do with the pandemic, uh, is the ban on use of florals in in waxing. Uh, something that uh, is certainly a good step forward for the health and welfare of those who are working on equipment. Uh, but it but it does hold out the possibility of really uh, changing the. Uh, uh, the preparation of skis at World Cup events. Boy, you said it. Um, you know,
1: for I, I still remember my first time putting Sarah F on a pair of skis at the um, World Champs for the disabled uh, in um, Mutters and Natters in in <laughs> in Austria. We were actually racing in Seyfeld but staying down in Mutters and Natters, and that was uh, 1988, if I remember right. Um, and so, you know, for more than more than thirty years, uh, you know, fluorocarbons have been the central piece of ski preparation at the elite level. And now, um, basically, from the end of one season to the beginning of the next, they are gone, um, history. And you know, obviously, the right thing for the environment overall. Um, and as you pointed out, um, you know, not having fluoros will will probably result in a healthier environment for everyone who has to prepare skis. Uh, But incredibly challenging for the ski technicians um, in in the sport to find new solutions um, with a whole new line of wax that don't have fluorocarbons in them. And then for IBU to work together with the um, Ski Federation, FIS, to make sure that we've got adequate testing systems um, so that nobody can get away with starting a race with fluorocarbons on their skis. And um, so I've served on that working group um, together with the FIS to find testing methodologies and a portable testing system that will allow us to um, test the skis before and after each race, and make sure that um, the the playing field is fair. Um, and but it, it, you're right; Tom, it's it's just a very very challenging situation for all the teams to you know come up with completely new solutions. But in in thinking about it. I think it's so much better that we're doing that in the season that is a whole year before the Olympic Games than meeting that challenge in the Olympic season itself, um, which would be really disruptive. But um, but it's, it's going to be a complicated year out there this year between COVID and no more floors. And um, that's,
0: <laughs> uh, yeah,
1: it, it, that's a little bit of a double whammy.
0: Well, not to complicate it even further, but I want to now talk a little bit about uh, doping. And you have been globally one of the staunchest continual advocates for anti-doping measures over many, many years. Do you worry a little bit right now, Max, that with the challenges faced because of SafeSport, because of COVID, uh, the whole racial diversity question... The florals. There are all of these other big issues in sport that are cropping up. How do we keep our eye on the ball relative to anti-doping?
1: Yeah. Well, thanks. And and I I do feel like I've it's it's been an important um, topic uh, for me for my entire career, and that really goes back to um, my first Olympics in in Albertville and um, experience there trying to help an athlete who had um had been given um the wrong another athlete's blood um and was going into um a complete shock um and you know nearly but but for amazing medical care in Albertville France would have died that night um and you know it really highlighted for me the the depths to which some people will go to try and succeed um and even putting an athlete's life at at risk is um is possible and and since that day I have always um had um the motivation to do everything possible to maintain a fair and safe um, environment for athletes. And so much has changed during my career and to see, you know, the World Anti-Doping Agency and the Code and uh, USADA um, all come, come into action has been a godsend. Um, and, you know, of, of course the um you know, it was <laughs> uh, terrible to have to deal with um the doping issues that surrounded the Sochi Olympic Games um but i think what what has come out of that for biathlon is a renewed commitment to uh, creating um a doping free sport for for our athletes and in order to do that um we founded the biathlon integrity unit and when i say we i mean the executive board of of ibu and ultimately the ibu congress um, which is now an organization that um, is fully funded by the ibu but has its own independent board of directors its own staff um, who are not under management Um, from IBU. And I think they're already have taken some major steps forward for, for biathlon. And um, it is that uh, project that I think can give athletes confidence that we are um, taking a very, very serious uh, step forward in control around um, doping issues and um, I don't uh, you know I think the world athletics uh, has shown that an independent organization is a good way to go and <clears throat> I think the athletes can have a lot of confidence in the work um, that that the biathlon integrity unit is doing to ensure uh, safe and clean sport so it it is you know just another another facet in the whole um the whole ecosystem of making sport safe and fair um but it's a it's a really important one and i think um we are we are lining up to have perhaps the um most clean and most fair uh, games ever um, coming up in, in Beijing.
0: Max, as we head into the home stretch uh, in this fascinating discussion, I want let, to uh, let's uh, move to summer uh, for just a moment. Uh, you are uh, wearing the hat of the head of the National Governing Bodies Council for the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee, and in that you uh, work with the over 50 national governing bodies and Olympic sport associations uh, in America. Uh, while biathlon is coming up in Beijing in 2022, There are hundreds and thousands of athletes this spring who had to pivot and change their direction, and Tokyo was put off by one year. Uh, We could go many different directions in this, but I just would love to get your thoughts on what the athletes have gone through and how they've been able to change their direction and move their goals 365 days ahead. Yeah, Um, yeah.
1: What a what a challenge! What a difficult time, and particularly for some athletes for whom you know they they may not be able to extend their athletic career another year to be able to um, you know actually go on and, and compete in Tokyo in 2021. Uh, So, but, you know, Tom, I I think it really speaks to what we all appreciate about athletes um, and what inspires us about them is this incredible ability to meet whatever the challenge is head on and find a solution for it. You know, I, I I sort of have this little mantra in my own head that, um, you know, we are all of us in sport blessed to work with amazing people who go out every day and redefine what's possible and at some level it's redefining what's possible for themselves at another level it's redefining what's possible for human beings to do when you finally reach the apex of their career um but the the you know having to have you know, put everything you had over the last three and a half years into, um, competing in, in Tokyo. And then in a matter of, you know, a few weeks, that dream all, um, shifts to a whole year later, um, just incredibly challenging situation. And, and, you know, thankfully many athletes have been able to avoid, um, you know, COVID, but, uh, but the challenges they face in trying to keep up their training and the mental challenge of now refocusing a year later um, and keeping that intensity um, and, and doing all of that while basically missing the entire competition season for their sport over the course of the summer. Really, really challenging times for, for the athletes on the summer side.
0: Well, thanks for your work in that area. And I, I have just one more serious question before we get on to a little bit of fun stuff to close it out. And Max, as you look back over your career and think about what you do on a day-to-day basis, what does it really mean to you personally to be able to help lead young men and women to their goals and dreams?
1: Ah, it's, uh, its It's... It's... It's what's with, it's what's with me when I wake up in the morning and when I go to bed at night, it's uh passion and um, it really is, you know, Tom, I think for both of us, you, you have um, had the chance to help athletes tell their story and to amplify their story. But I think we both feel so fortunate and blessed to be able to work with truly amazing people Um on a daily basis and uh, i think that's what makes it possible to um, spend the long hours uh, that are needed to try and really deliver at an olympic level we're not competing at the olympics ourselves but we want to try and ensure that the product that we're delivering to the athletes is of olympic caliber
0: Well, thank you, Max. And you certainly have done that justice, and I know that you will in the lead up to Beijing. So let's have a little bit of fun. We'll close out this uh, edition of Heartbeat with a little uh, uh, segment that I call On Target. Just some short, simple questions. Uh, You can give me a short, simple answer, whatever comes to your mind. Nothing is right or wrong here. So, Max, first of all, think back on all you've experienced. What is the most memorable event you have been participating in the most memorable event wow
1: oh that's a tough one tom uh i mean you know i spoke a little bit earlier about um the the life-changing experience that it was for me to march in to the olympic stadium in albertville in 92 with the team um and that was you know certainly one that i will never forget because it really did bend the arc of my career and make me look at what we do in sport in a total different way. Um, but seeing, you know, Tim Burke put on the yellow bib, seeing Lowell Bailey stand on the top step of the podium and Susan follow that up, uh, you know, just a, another day. Those are indelible memories that I will never, ever forget. Um, and And there's so many more stories uh, that you know were the the pieces and the memories of working together with people that actually led to making some of those things possible. That
0: I'll never forget either. And there's more memories to come for sure. Uh favorite competition venue and you've been to some great places around the world. Biathlon goes to some very unique places, but what's your favorite competition venue?
1: I have to say I love Antelts. I I call it the uh, um Biathlon Cathedral, and the the
0: beautiful
1: um towering peaks or that are you know surround the venue and uh the sunshine the high lake above and the chance just beautiful trails and um a great biathlon venue it really is uh, our cathedral
0: um so as that's an easy one (laughs) i uh, i I figured that's where you would go but i love it's our cathedral. <laughs> you could take that so many different ways. Yeah. Um, we all know you in biathlon, but what fun thing or hobby do you enjoy outside of biathlon or skiing? Uh, ah, yeah, funny. So this, um, <laughs> I I needed a little
1: project uh, for COVID, something to to do to get me away from um, the thoughts, and and I actually. Um, bought a 1961 johnson uh outboard um, 40 horsepower outboard and uh, rebuilt and restored it um, for my son tim's runabout Um, and i got it done just in time for the family vacation week at the lake so it was a really satisfying uh project little little zen in the art of motorcycle maintenance there but it was really fun
0: And you didn't get stranded out on the lake. (laughs) Not there, nope. (laughs) You know, Max, I could have made a million guesses on this and I never would have come to that one. I completely understand. I've been, it's funny because I find that during COVID, I've been making old used things work again. Yeah. Like a high lift jack or working on our Jeeps and things like that. It's uh, uh, it's very satisfying, isn't it?
1: It really is. And I had not spent a lot of time, uh, you know, with internal combustion engines before. So I had a lot to learn there as well. And um, it was just really satisfying to uh, see my kids water skiing behind the boat uh, when we finally got out on the lake. It was
0: really fun. That's cool. Favorite pandemic Netflix binge? Oh, West Wing.
1: <laughs> Get so, out, really, good one. Yeah,
0: my wife and I have been rewatching the West Wing. <laughs> that is great. And then uh, finally, in one word, Max, what does biathlon mean to you? Oh, boy. Uh, one word,
1: huh? <laughs> um, for me, it's friendships. Wow, Yeah. That's
0: what it is. It's perfect. I love it, Max. Max Cobb, thank you for joining us on Heartbeat.
1: Thanks, Tom. I've really enjoyed it.
0: Biathlon is a sport of precision, an ultimate test of athletes on snow. And Max, thanks for your leadership of athletes and for joining us today on Heartbeat. Don't forget to subscribe on your favorite podcast channel. You'll find Heartbeat on Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and more. We'll be back with more content throughout the summer and fall and in the season ahead. I'm your host, Tom Kelly, from all of us at U.S. Biathlon. Thanks for listening to Heartbeat.